Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Uh, thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Here's the discussion we had about fanatics and grading. The other night, the 76ers were in town, and I actually looked to see what Ruben looked like. Casey happened to be there that night. Not that I was going to try to get time with him, but on the off chance that he came up to me to ask me all about Denver, I could ask him all about the fanatics. I didn't see him. What I did see is each team is responsible for their own catering. And sometimes it's Subway. And other times it's the nicest steak joints that Denver has to offer. The spread in the 76ers dressing room was extravagant. And the amount of food left over made the arena staff incredibly happy. The extravagance that Mr. Rubin is willing to uh, extend to his team is something that uh, I was aware of that evening. What do you see the game plan being fanatics as far as the timeline goes? Do you see them not getting fully vested until 2024, 2025? Or do you see a play being made much earlier? I see earlier. He didn't get where, where he is by, by being slow. He, he wants a first mover advantage. I think he's going to be very aggressive and that all bodes well. The time is now. It's hot right now. Now they shouldn't, they, they don't have to go immediately next month now, but I think they're aggressively looking at it. My fear would be that instead of buying the card companies, they take the five best guys from Upper Deck, the five best guys from Panini and the five best guys from Tops, and they take a few from Leaf. They cherry pick an all-star team, and then the current manufacturers are gutted of talent, and then the next I need to buy them. They'd start a new company. Now, if they did that, rather than buying a company, they'd take a little bit longer, but maybe six months longer. When you've got uh, almost unlimited money, they're going to aggressively go after this. What have you thought about the idea of them uh, basically relicensing the manufacturers to produce for them? Fanatics, if you look at their history, they don't make things. They acquire things and, and then control the, where they go. But to say, hey, Tops, we're going to allow you to make baseball cards, but on our terms. Brian Gray thinks there's no way that's going to happen. I think there's a strong possibility of that. And same thing with Penny. Same thing, actually, with Upper Deck has a lot going for it. But if Fanatic shows up with a licensing agreement that is more lucrative than what they're making right now, perhaps, to be a contract manufacturer, card producer. And it's already happening on the printing aspect of it. A lot of things will say powered by fanatics and you that as a tagline with a lot of things that they already sell. So that's certainly a possibility in my opinion and probably something that's more cost effective down the road for them as well. I think they don't have any risk if they're not owning, they're the Walmart that can dictate terms for yep. all the vendors. And occasionally when a product is a huge winner, you source it yourself. But having these different brands competing against each other, maybe we get what we want. The Fanatics can license each of those. They, they can say, Upper Deck, you can do basketball. You can do exquisite. You, Panini, you can do your same stuff for all the sports. Tops, you can go back to doing football and basketball. So I, I love that. I, I would like to see that happen, but I'm not the boss. They want to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And they want to create their own ecosystem. And it's going to go far beyond just licenses and manufacturing. They're going to be at some point possibly looking at grading, possibly looking at marketplaces, um, possibly going back into the existing market, buying up things to sell through their sites and to the wider audience, which they started a while ago with Fanatics branded cards and slabs that they put out there. What do you think about them kind of building a walled garden, for lack of a better term? and trying to take over other spaces of the category as well. I think grading would be the last thing they ought to go into because the whole aspect of third-party grading and authentication is third-party. So right. they're, they're a first party. And when we did the grading of Pops Cards and Upper Deck and Panini or Playoff, Donruss, all the ones we had deals with, 
we had to first educate them. Hey, all cards are not tens when they come off the line. Uh, it can be if it's fanatics, if they're doing the grading. Um, so I, I think that's the last thing, but this is them beating their chest and saying, Hey, we're the new sheriff in town. We're going to be in charge and, and everything is being evaluated. You better be on your toes. If we come after you and we want to acquire you, we're either going to acquire you or we're going to put you out of business. So I think there's some bullying aspect of that. So this posturing that we're going to do everything has got everybody on their toes and it may soften up everybody to say, hey, they're coming through. It's not that they're ruthless. It's just that they're very focused and, and nothing's impossible. They have a great track record, but it's basically selling other people's stuff. And that way they can squeeze the other people and say, hey, if you don't do this, we, we'll get somebody else. And I don't think they're going to be doing 20-year agreements with other people. There's a one-hour bit that Luber did recently. Uh, he, he expressed uh, little to no interest in getting involved with grading. The, the line that stood out is he wants to see 10 times as many card shops, which I found to be very encouraging from the standpoint of allocations and involving shops at, at, uh, as a collectible. Separation of church and state. You, you've got the cards, uh, the, the graders. Otherwise, why is Nat Turner not more vertically integrated? Because they have their hands full with grading, which is a cash cow if you do it right. We got criticism because we were doing price guides and grading. But now if people think of Beckett, they think of it as a grading company more than a price guide company, which is... they, they Unfortunately the for me. <laughs> I know, they've dropped the ball. Yeah. yeah. I had a meeting with Jeremy and Brian the other day. I'm like, at the end of the day, the value of your company is the database and the pricing. I'm just like... <laughs> Things are so fast moving outside that building. I met uh, a couple weeks ago and I probably said a lot of the same things you're saying. They got to throw some more resources at it. And if they don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody else is doing it. Although the card ladder guys will get bogged down increasingly if they try to be more comprehensive. It's not that hard to look up comps or to be tracing uh, a few thousand cards. It's still a lot of work, but to be exhaustive like we were back in the day, really <laughs> yeah. trying to be on it is it takes, we would need more than the, analysts that we had we had 18 or 19 at the peak and there's they have seven now and, and there's not enough hours in the day yeah. and he's not in, in, empowered to hire appropriately to do what it was and i think the com c could have some great information that would clean up some of the price guys but com c's off on their pricing too yeah it just changes so quickly it's never been like that you could have had a price guide every month and the fluctuations were minor. If you're not on top of it day to day, literally a card can take a dump in, in a way that never happened before or rise in a way it's never happened before. And pricing Beckett's thing, it's always been reactive instead of proactive. None of our better cards go through our uh, Beckett software. It's all priced by us, pushed through us. One of the saddest days of my business wasn't the day you sold the business. It's the day you decided to sell the business. And I've always been Beckett West. I've been the face of Beckett from this side for a long time. And it's putting resources toward the most important thing, which is the database. Because grading, to me anyways, is going to slow down dramatically going forward as people realize 80% of the cards they used to grade aren't worth grading anymore. And these, it's not just a Beckett issue, it's a PSA issue, it's an everybody issue. I'm not an accountant, but if I were to be a cost accountant, one of the things I did when I was in charge and when we got grading started is there was an apportionment of the grading fees that went to technical services, that went to the price guide team because of the nomenclature, the identification, and the price guide aspect. So grading was not as profitable when I was there because some of their costs were imputed based on the database that had been developed. Otherwise, it looks like the price guide team is purely a cost 
without selling a lot of magazines anymore, it's a cost without enough revenue to justify increasing that. And then we had the editorial people that, so one of the magazines, it's all about the editorial. Baloney, they were mainly price guide magazines at the peak. And so apportioning that cost accounting with grading, editorial, I think you need strong all three. And if my old company did that now, it, it would come out of the grading profits, which can easily sustain that. It's like the football program sustaining the uh, women's basketball program. It could do that. Yeah. $150 a card, Jim. Can you, did you ever envision $150 a card for grading? Basically, someone affixing a number in the upper right-hand corner that chances are know a lot less about grading than myself and Mike that have been doing it for decades. Artificial intelligence coming into our category, taking the human element out of grading, being able to put a digital fingerprint to a card that it's graded a nine, it'll always be a nine. It's not one of those subjective things where it can be 4X with a 10 and things being cracked consistently. Is there a place for artificial intelligence in the category? Is it a good thing at all that the human element's being taken out like they're trying to um, do with umpires and things like that in sports where it's less subjective? If you were starting a grading company today, would there be an artificial intelligence component? Absolutely. And not to eliminate the human, it's to reduce it, to make it more manageable so that you can go faster, that the AI does the things that they, they can do. But there's all kinds of apocalyptic movies about AI gone crazy. We're not looking for full AI. We're looking for AI assistance. To the, and the uh, fingerprint thing is a great idea. If you have a fingerprint on the card and then you drop it before it's slabbed and it dings the corner... <laughs> yeah, I want to keep that. It was once a nine, always a nine. No, it now it's not even a nine. It's a seven. But the other thing that I think is going to happen, which I think is good, but it's going to cause a lot of gnashing of teeth, is I think there has to be some compression of the price to grade relationships. That a 10 can't be 10 times the value of a nine. And a nine can't be 10 times as valuable as an eight. It's not the Richter scale. There's going to be an increase, but we're already seeing that on the low end. If somebody's looking for a, a vintage two, three, or four, those could be all priced similarly depending on eye appeal. And so why do you need a grader other than to tell you it's authentic? And according to this centering and corners and edges and surface, we say it's a four or a three or a two. The buyer is just saying, I like this two better than I like the four. Because yeah. the, the the two has some back damage that I'm I'm just not going to look at it. Yeah, yeah. the four is off centered in a bad way that is frustrating to me. Right. And so they all that is going to make that you're not going to buy the holder. You're going to buy the card, and that is good. But it's going to be consternation for the graders, whether it's AI or not. Certain attributes to every buyer are different, and that four has that eight attribute that you enjoy is going to be a much better buy for you than that four that has that one or that three attribute that you don't care about. I find that interesting. But I also see this artificial price increase for grading based on the fact that they can't handle the backlog. It's not like their service has gotten better to justify it. It's basically gotten higher to minimize the amount of cards coming through. And I think that's scary as well. Supply and demand. People just say no. Or there are plenty of other alternatives now of either not getting it graded at all or getting it graded with another service. The only mutiny that PSA should be concerned about is a mutiny against the registry. Because right now they're holding collectors hostage by the power of the registry. Otherwise, there's lots of places to get your cards graded. But if they have to have a PSA registry presence and they're working their way up that ladder, they're at the mercy of these price increases. But if somebody may say, I'm going to have a mongrel 
registry. Nobody's willing to do that now, but if, if you can grade the graders, you ought to be able to register the registries. Where did the idea come from? If a card has a seven on it and the rest is nines, how come it can only be a seven five? The guy I spent the most time with that on was Grant. Grant, that's how he thinks. Basically, Grant exhaustively, and we walk through those scenarios of if it's a 10 in every respect with a bullet hole, it's still got a bullet hole. And so it's a one or a two. Now, that's better than something that has two subgraves all the way around. Every one of those, what would that be? The half points, you've got 20 to the fourth power because you have 20 choices of each of those subgrades. If it's 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, that's black label. But 10, 10, 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. So all those were evaluated. And if it's surface, all 10, 10, 10, 6s are not 7s. If it was a surface 6, Maybe that turns into a nine. I, I don't know. But Grant showed me this really complicated table that he'd That's worked right. on. And I quizzed him. And I said, what about this? What about this? And I was satisfied. He's a very exhaustive, very bright guy. And so I'm a big fan of always or as much as possible showing the report card. Because otherwise, it's very confusing. It's confusing when you see the report card. But if they always showed the report card, they'd say, okay, yeah. But And it's the reason why weak nines and strong nines sell for different prices. And a 9.5 with certain kinds of subgrades is almost assuredly going to get a PSA 10. But with other subgrades, it probably goes down to a nine. And people figure out how to play that game as long as the report card is there. Yeah, there needs to be more transparency in general in the category. So many things are like a black box, especially with these new users coming in and seeing in other businesses more transparency. It's not in ours. And there needs to be report cards. And even with the 9.5 centering, why is it 9.5 centering? What are the actual dimensions? And being able to have a report on a given card where it holds the grading companies and the grader in general to a standard. And just that nine, break it down. I, I need to know why that card's a nine. My business, that's been a huge thing. That's why I'm on 10, 15 minutes or more on Instagram talking about it. You've either got a couple of experts that are looking at it and have looked at lots and lots of cards, or you're going to go the AI route, which my sense is the AI is going to be tougher and, and, and less forgiving because it's just deterministic. 